Before I begin today, I just want to say a warm thank you to this community. Um, as the end of this verse that was just read said, to love one another, this community has loved me so well and has formed me and nurtured me, and um, I'm just so grateful. I invite you to reflect back over your life and think of an experience that was a turning point in your faith. A moment, either recent or long ago, that you might think back to when you doubt God's goodness or even his presence in your life. Think of a moment when you knew that you knew that you knew God was with you. Think back to that time. Imagine it in your mind's eye. Where were you? What might have been happening around you? Who were you with? Why were you there? Since each of us has as unique a story with God as each of us is unique, I can't begin to imagine all the different beautiful moments that are rising to our minds right now. If you were in chapel yesterday, Dr. Tennant spoke about the will of God and reminded us that when we come up against closed doors in life, it's easy to forget God's plan for us. But I was so comforted when Dr. Tennant said this, the no of God becomes a deeper yes, a better and richer plan for us. That statement resounds so deeply in my heart when I think about God's faithfulness in my life. When Jessica asked me to speak in chapel this semester, I knew I wanted to share with everyone something that uh, God had done in my time at seminary, something that I'm sure many others might deal with. So one of those life-changing moments that I could think back on in my journey with God happened right here in this room, right here in this part of the, of the pews, right in this front section. I was really struggling at the beginning of my second year of seminary. I was confused, wondering what goodness God had for me, waiting for him to move in my life. So I came to chapel and I heard Reverend Tom Tanner speak. He preached about, and if you know Tom Tanner, he has a beautiful southern draw. He preached about swimming in the deep end with God. He preached about how most of us have been taught to swim in the shallow end, not expecting enough from God. Oh, how my heart wanted to be in the deep end. But my struggle with God was hanging me up. I felt like I already was expecting God to do something, and when I hadn't seen the results yet, I was angry and frustrated, I felt alone. So at the end of Tom Tanner's message, I came to God with a question about which I felt that I really needed an answer right then. So it probably sounded more like a demand when I came to God, but I said something like this, just tell me God, just tell me a yes or a no. I'll be fine with whatever the answer is, I promise. Just give me an answer already. I heard nothing. I left chapel that day even more angry, even more impatient with God. I just heard a message about going in the deep end with God, and all I got from God was silence. Well, I don't know if I just really liked Tom, Tanter, Tom Tanner's preaching, which I did, or if I was just a chapel nerd, which I was and still am. 
or if my heart was just searching so deeply for an answer that my stubbornness brought me to chapel the next day. Tom Tanner was speaking again, and he basically gave a dive deeper 2.0 sermon. Throughout the whole message, I was irritated. I was confused, wondering how I was supposed to dive deeper when God wouldn't give me the answer I had come, with, come to uh, the day before. At the end of the service, even after the benediction, I remember sitting in my seat, waiting stubbornly, and I heard an answer. Actually, I recounted it a couple days later in my journal, and I thought I might uh, read a part of that journal entry with you. I wrote this. I sat in that question on Wednesday with no answer. I asked the question on Thursday and felt no answer, at least the kind I wanted. I wanted God to tell me a yes or no. I wanted a path to clearly walk down. But he didn't give that to me. He gave me these words instead. Tori, you just have to trust me. Trust. It's a simple word, a simple concept, but complex thing to actually do. But that's what faith is, I guess. Faith is not receiving an answer and then going back to our journey on our own. Faith is daily walking with the Lord, moment by moment, checking in with him, communicating with him, communing with him. God invites us to join in with all of him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to live, move, and have our being. That's the way it was before the fall, and that's what God's heart desires, communion with him. And so I do not have an answer and I do not have a path. That is an easy answer or an easy path. Instead, I have my Lord, Savior, lover, friend, and guide to show me the way. Life isn't simple enough anyway to go on, to get one answer and to go on the, the road. Each moment holds a direction or holds a decision that God wants to show us how to live out his will for our lives, and his will for the kingdom. How amazing it is that I have a God who loves me so much that he won't let me go alone. He wants me to be abiding in him with everything I do. In the scripture we heard today, we know that Jesus was speaking to his disciples when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He was not talking to crowds of people, strangers on the street, he was talking to the close ones who had already been journeying with him. We even heard phrases in the passage today like, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And things like, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus was talking to his friends. And if we look broader around this particular passage, we will quickly realize that this part in John's account of Jesus is a really heartbreaking section of the story. Jesus has spent years with these people he calls friends. He's traveled, ate, slept, taught, listened, and loved with these people who followed him when he beckoned them. But now... He's telling them that he won't be around much longer. Just two chapters before this passage, 
Jesus uh, not only predicts his death, but predicts his betrayal too. His betrayal by one who shares bread with him. One who had just been reclining there at the table in the upper room. That's where we enter the story in this passage when he talks about vines and branches and remaining in him. The disciples had just eaten a meal together where they learned he wouldn't be around much longer. Yet after he tells his friends of his soon coming betrayal and death, he tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. What? I'm sure the disciples were thinking and probably even saying things like, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's the best you've got. Are you kidding me, Jesus? You just dropped the bomb on us that we won't be able to ask you questions whenever we need to or see you give blind people sight again or deaf people hearing like we've watched you do. We thought we were just getting started with you. We thought you had a plan for us. We're not ready to let you go. You just told us that one of, you will one of us will betray you and have you killed, and you say, don't let your hearts be troubled. I can't imagine the shock and hurt the disciples felt when Jesus broke this news to them. Their Lord, their long-awaited Messiah, their friend would not be with them much longer. But what's really interesting about this section of John's gospel is that Jesus has something up his sleeve. We read that Jesus is actually, or we read that Jesus is actually introducing his disciples to something or someone who will be with them on the journey, one who will be their counselor, one whom Jesus will ask the Father to send, one who, little did the disciples know at that time, would set their hearts and lives aflame to allow them to actually be the bearers of the gospel in the world. Setting free the oppressed all over the world in more places and times than just ancient Israel among those who witnessed Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus was actually introducing his friends to the Holy Spirit in order that they might be invited to the journey even deeper. If you look, just one chapter before chapter 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot see him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit right before the vine and branches section. And then right after, if you keep reading past the scripture today, um, Jesus speaks to his disciples about the hardships and the persecution that they're going to endure. He says... If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belonged, and I think we can read abide here instead, if you abide with the world, it would love you as, as, as its own. As it is, you do not abide with the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. 
And then Jesus says again a few verses later, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I don't think I've ever noticed this before about the vine and branches section. Uh, it's sandwiched here, right in between Jesus reassuring his friends that they will not be alone. By abiding with him, they will have the Holy Spirit. Jesus finishes this section by saying, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Not only did Jesus know that he wouldn't be with his friends much longer in bodily form, he knew that his friends would become discouraged without his presence. Every amazing miracle they watched him do, every life-changing teaching they heard from him, every fond memory would naturally grow more faint as time passed and hardships became greater. He knew this because if you look back at the history of Israel in the Old Testament, especially books like Judges, God knows that humans forget his steadfast mercy and love very easily and very quickly. And Jesus knew it would be even harder for us today, 2,000 years later, to keep abiding with him when trouble, troubles inevitably, inevitably come. Think about that moment in your life I asked you to think about earlier. Moments like those are always so important in our faith journeys, aren't they? Those moments when we know that we know that we know that God is real, that God is good, that God is mighty, and that God is love. I think the Holy Spirit helps us remember these moments like Ebenezer's on our journey, momentous and hopeful times in our lives that we can look back on when life is hard and dark and brutal. We remember those moments to remember that God is indeed love and mighty and good and real. As these moments pile up in our life, they start to collect and they reverberate the testimony to ourselves that our God is worthy of our trust. Of course, it's hard to trust a God who is far off, to, far off from us, waiting for us to come crawling back. Of course, it's hard for us to trust a God who keeps a record of wrongs to shame us if and when we do come crawling back. Of course, it's hard to trust a God who is too divine to know the pain humanity bears, the pain each of us bear. So why is our God trustworthy? Because our Lord is with us. Our God cares far too much to allow us to go on the journey alone even though there are so many stories in the Bible of humanity's short-term memory and faithlessness, God's love of us is shown all the more. God is with us as the one in the garden. God is with us as the one who set the Israelites free from slavery. God is with us as the guiding pillar by day of fire or by, of cloud and the pillar of fire by night. God is with us as the baby born of Mary. God is with us as the one who touched the sick, healed the blind, and ate with sinners. 
God is with us as the one who bore the sins of the world and was raised from the dead. God is with us as the one who walked with the grieving ones on the road to Emmaus. God is with us as the spirit who fell upon the believers and allowed them to spread the good news to every tribe, nation, and tongue. God is with us as the one who changes persecutors like Saul into transformed lives of love. And God is with us as the comforter while we mourn the loss of Aaron and reminds us that Aaron is, the God, is with God forever, no longer inflicted with the doubts that we suffer, always now firmly attached to the vine. Amen. Amen. God has and does and will abide with us always. And he says to you today, won't you abide with me? Those turning points in our lives, those Ebenezers, those moments with God are so important for us to look back on and remember, aren't they? They give us hope when we don't have hope. They remind us to abide, to stay, to linger, to hold on tight to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But while these moments do help us, God's desire is more. He wants us to be abiding, staying, lingering, holding on tight all the time. If God is the gardener, of the vine and the branches, he doesn't want us to be trying to live on our own strength until we are withered and sucked dry before he waters our souls. He wants us to consistently, he wants to consistently and tenderly care for us like a good gardener would, who wants to see his garden thrive, not just survive. He wants to prune the things out of our lives that are killing us, he wants to commune with us as it was intended to be in the garden at the beginning, walking in the cool of the day with him. What might be keeping you from abiding today? For me, I couldn't seem to get deeper to abide with God because I was distracted by the answer that I didn't seem to have from him. But when God told me, Tori, you just have to trust me. I realized I had my priorities all wrong. I wasn't trying to abide with God to be with God. I was trying to use God to get what I needed to go back on the journey alone. I needed to learn that there is not one overarching answer to life, but a moment by moment, chapter by chapter, walk with God. I didn't trust that God actually had my best interest in mind. When I had no reason to think that at all, because if you would have pressed me then about moments that I could think about of God's faithful, faithfulness in my life, I could have thought of a thousand. Friends, we can trust God. We can trust him because we have a God who is not far off, but a God who sees us far off and comes to run and embrace us. We have a God who tells us that we are already always with him. We are the branches of the vine already. We are in our Father's presence. We belong to him. We are his beloved. He abides with us. He is trustworthy. I'm sure there are some of you who are in the midst of confusion and craving assurance. Or maybe God feels silent right now 
and you're craving connection, table is a perfect place to keep abiding. Because when we eat of this meal and drink of the cup, just like his disciples did before his betrayal and death, he assures us that we will never be alone. He will always be with us. So if you're feeling confused or disconnected from God today, come desiring to be with God because he's already with us. Come to the table knowing that Jesus is here. Abide with him and he will abide with you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon the promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord.